0: Uh, this morning, I want to uh, we 've been kind of talking about the idea that God created us uh, we, He mystically wired us and and what we mean by that language is that he he wired us to be able to communicate with him uh, this uh, this idea that we 're inherently wired by God that that he actually can speak to us. And, and the scripture reveals that that actually happens where he, he begins to, it, it works on the inside. We, we think of a burning bush or uh, you know, a voice from the heavens and these kinds of things. But the reality is the scripture is, is fairly clear that the voice comes from within. Sometimes the voice sounds like me when it's in me. In fact, often I have given myself credit for the brilliance of God in my life because it sounded like me. And so it's it's easy for us to be a little bit confused. But what God says is, I am speaking inside you. Your feelings, your emotions, your thoughts, your desires. The redemption of you, the salvation of you really says, That's me now able to communicate in and through you. How awesome would it be if you could finally begin to trust your desires, your thoughts, your hopes, that they weren't all corrupt, and that you could actually tell the difference. You could look at that one and go, wow, that one's from God. Oh, that one's not from God, you know? And we lean in the right direction as God begins to develop us and grow us as one who's hearing his voice. I've I've actually had to repent of some places where I I was just amazed at my brilliance. And only to learn later that that wasn't me. In that moment, that brilliance was God empowering and enabling me. And you know, the problem is, I kind of took his glory. People said, Bill, that was amazing. I know. (laughs) I thought it was too, but... It's me. What can you do? And then there are other times when I totally am insane and and crumbling and corrupt. And I go, what's wrong? He says, that's you. Without me, that's you. This connection between God and man. And so when we talk about this connection... Here's something that I've been wondering. Now that we have this God talking with us, do we really know very much about this God? I mean, what do we really know about him? What do we we understand about his person? And I I asked a number of people this morning, and and I've uh, been kind of doing a little bit of a survey to kind of see where people, what, what comes to mind, and maybe you can do this exercise for yourself, uh, what comes to mind when I think of God? If somebody says, well, describe God to me, what comes to mind? What are his attributes? How is he described? This becomes really important because the truth is, what we understand about God, what we think about God, it's going to drastically affect who we are. It's going to affect our future. It will affect how we live. It will affect how we experience Jesus, how we see God. And one of the realities that I, I, I continue to wrestle with is uh, as a pastor, you will hear this phrase a lot. No matter where you go, whether you're in the church or you're outside the church, when somebody learns that you're a pastor, here is a phrase that I'm typically waiting for. Well, I believe. Well, here's what I believe. And there's nothing wrong with that phrase. I'm sure I use that phrase. What I'm always curious about is what's going to be said after that, and why. Where does it come from? Well, I don't believe that a loving God will send anybody to hell. Okay. Well, I believe that God loves all religions. All right. The truth is, you can believe anything you want about God, can't you? Yeah, I can make up anything I want. I can can create to my heart's desire what God is about. And that will be my God. When he's a God I don't like or don't understand or he frustrates me, it will affect how I believe what I think of him. And at the end of the day, many of us, what we've done is we have actually created a God. Now, he's he's my God. You know, I created him. What does he look like? Well, for me, because he doesn't give me the answers I want, he's a distant God. And although he might be creator of all things... I really don't understand him, but I believe he exists. I would like to think that he's a loving God. I don't know that I ever feel that. I would like to think that I love him back, but I'm not completely sure that's true. It's hard to love a God that is totally confusing to you. or he could be the God I used to believe in. Along the way, what we do is we create God. And the danger for all of us is when we sit back and we evaluate God based on our ideas of justice and fairness and and honesty, based on our ideas of of love and kindness and rightness and fairness, we've created a God that looks like us. He is contoured and designed around our best way of thinking right should be. So instead of us being in a relationship with a God in whose image we were created in, we are now trying to be in a relationship with a God created in our image. It's a problem for us in, human, in humanity. Because the truth is, there is a, an intrinsic part of us that we really, 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 really like to be in charge and we do songs like some of the songs we did this morning about bowing before God, humbling ourselves before God, especially in our country and in our culture, those are extremely foreign ideas. You know, it's kind of, I bow before no one. I'm as good, I'm up here, I look into the eyes of everyone equal. But that's only possible if you created that God look something like you. Maybe it's the best version of us, you know. If I was on my best game, and I was doing my best stuff, and I mean, like, I could make myself perfect the way I think perfect is, then that's what God would look like. Probably not very many of you would be impressed with my God. But you would lean toward your own God. So, just who is this God who wired you and who wired me? If we were to ask that question honestly, what is God like? What is he like? This God that's supposedly speaking thoughts into me, what is he like? What kind of God is he? So, uh, I'm going to have Melinda read a passage And it happens to just be a passage that came up in uh, a a liturgical reading. And I would like for her to read that for you. It describes a God, the one in the Bible. This is from Psalm uh, 99. The Lord is king. Let the nations tremble. He sits on his throne between the cherubim. Let the whole earth quake. The Lord sits in majesty in Jerusalem, exalted above all the nations. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Your name is holy. Mighty king, lover of justice, you have established fairness. You have acted with justice and righteousness throughout Israel. Exalt the Lord our God. Bow low before his feet, for he is holy. Now that sounds like a God, doesn't it? He is holy. He is righteous. He is king. He is on his throne. He doesn't bring his A game. He is the A game. He is the Z game. He created the game and he was there before the game existed. He is God. He doesn't walk with a big stick. He is the stick. He is all things. He has the power to save, the power to create, the power to destroy. He's, a, he's an individual you could rightly fear. You know, we often profess, some of us, uh, that we love God and we plan to spend eternity with him. But for many of us, we're really not sure who we're planning to spend eternity with. And some of us are not even sure we like him. So I have a few questions for you. And these are, you can just pick one or two of these that kind of stand out in your head. These are some that I have been wrestling with myself. What do I really know about him, and how has that changed my life? Why would I want to spend eternity with someone that I don't really know? If he is the most important being in my life, why do I spend so much more time with all other beings and little to none with him? These are questions I'm asking myself, okay? So if they work for you, fine. If you go, well, that's not mine. If I spend as much time with him, if I spend as much time with my spouse as I do with God, what would that relationship look like? Can I even have a relationship with someone that I do not talk to, feel loved by, and engaged at any emotional level? Can I have a relationship with someone I don't have any real feelings for? Do I experience his presence daily, weekly, monthly, or not at all? Can I have a relationship that is deep and intimate with someone I do not know? Why do I run from his presence and how can I stop doing that? Is it even possible to know God? And if it is, should it not be my highest priority? I made that list actually with someone else. see, the scripture gives this priority. In John 17, verse 3, this is in the NIV. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ and you have sent. This is the one thing he brings up. He is different than you and I. He is not the best version of me. He's not the best version of us. That's the best news I'm going to tell you today. That is a really a great reason to be excited. Because if he was the very, very, very best version of me, wow, what a sad day this would indeed be. But here's what he says. Isaiah 55:8 8 and 9, this is in the NIV. I am nothing like you, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. He is really, really different. And so you see, when I'm looking for God thoughts that are in my voice inside me, usually they are different. They are when somebody is so annoying to me, I don't want to call them back. And this thought inside me says, you should call them back. Not my thought, I tell you. It's a thought different than my thought. It's a way different than my way. When I get God thoughts, they reveal the distance between my best thinking and his thinking. He is different. Really, really different. And as we look at his attributes, and here's kind of the list I came up with talking to people. God is loving. That is a true statement. God is loving. He's always loving. He loves you. He's always loved you. He will always love you. That's a true statement. He pursues you in that love relationship, and he desires for that relationship to grow in love between you and him, myself and him. He is forgiving. It's how he makes a way for us to be connected with this powerful, powerful God, and yet us in our compromised place and our struggling ways of thinking and being. He extends that forgiveness freely without cost to be reunited in relationship. He is merciful. Every time you feel guilty, every time you blew it one more time, every time your addiction got the better of you, or your anger, or your lust, he chose mercy, as he does with me. He is kind. He is patient. When you give up on you, he does not give up on you. When you are frustrated with you and you are ready to quit you, he does not quit you. That's what makes him different. That's why he's a much better version of him than than you are of him or I am of him. He is truly kind. He's not kind acting. He is kind. Actions come out of the, the personhood of kindness. His patience comes out of really being patient. Have you ever been patient with someone and you were forcing it because you didn't feel patient? Anybody done that? Has anybody been kind when inside you wanted to be anything but kind? They just scratched your car. Your brand new car and you go, "Oh, that's okay. It's just a car." That I paid thirty thousand dollars for last week. You should be killed. It's okay. It's just a car. And we can we can rejoice. I was kind. My heart wanted to destroy, but I was kind. But What if you could really be kind? What if in that moment, your mercy and compassion for someone who just trashed your car was amazing kindness? But you're not like that. Not naturally. I'm not like that. God has to recreate that in us. God makes it possible for you and I to be kind and patient and merciful and forgiving. These are all amazing attributes of God. But let's move on to some that are less talked about in the church. We do see this one quite often, but God is just It means that he exists in righteousness. He is righteousness. And everything will be made right. He doesn't forget one thought, one idea that's wrong, one motive, one intention that was not correct and not right in its spirit. He's different than us. He's he's powerful like that. Now, that's a scary thing, isn't it? I mean, there's one part of us that wants a just God because at the end of the day, we want credit for the things that we sacrificed. We want credit for the things we got right. And we want the people who jacked us to get the credit for what they did. But there's a dark side of justice, isn't there? Because I have things... I did wrong. Things I knowingly did wrong. Things that I don't really want any of you to know about. But God, because he's not like you and I, he knows about them. And I know that he knows about them. And he knows that I know that he knows about them. And it's in that moment that I have to look at justice a little differently, or at least I want him to look at it differently. I know that you are going to be perfect in your justice. Where would that leave me exactly? Every action, every thought, every claim, every motive, every intention... Will be judged for its rightness. And He will make them right. He's going to make them right. He's going to judge everything. In that judgment, He sends Jesus. So that the exacting of justice against me and against you and against humanity will be served out and was served out in the the person of his son Jesus. That you and I would not have to be afraid of his justice anymore. He says... Justice will be served. He is God. He is not like me. He is just. Absolutely and completely. And that is great news for you and I. Asiente, God means, it's a fancy word. Here's what it means. God is independent. He doesn't need you to be complete. He doesn't need me to be complete. God is just. He is complete on his own. He is not lacking. He is not unwhole. And his desire and his connection with you and I is that, it is desire for connection with you and I. It's a desire to be engaged in a relationship with the thing he created and loves. Another attribute of God He is holy. He is not corruptible. He has not sinned. He will never sin. He will never fail his justice. He is holy. That is good news for you and I. Because if there is a God who can can play the role that will bring something to you and I that makes it all right... It's going to be his justice. It's going to be his holiness. It's going to be all of these attributes that we see in God. His holiness. And we see then his eminence. We hear that term with kings and things like that. It refers to him being in the world. He is engaged in the world. He is not a distant God but he is interested and he is engaged in his creation. I know these are kind of 50-cent words. Don't worry about the words. He is immutable. That's just a fancy word that says he doesn't change. Now, what does that mean? That means that his character doesn't change. Who he is does not change. It is dependable. You know, how can you change perfection? It's difficult to improve on it, you know? Perfection is that, and that is who he is, and that doesn't change. And I'm giving you these references for all these. The omnipotence of God. And you're going to see this omni on many things. Omni is just a, a phrase that means it's everywhere. It's, it goes in every direction. So it's like saying he is all-powerful. So Omni is like all. He is all powerful. He can do anything and everything. You see, as you begin to look at God, he is different. He is omnipresent. He has omnipresence. He is present everywhere. David's words, when I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Where can I run from you? He is there. When you die, he is there. Before you were born, he was there. He's there. He's different than you and I. Omniscient means He is all-knowing. So this God that we're talking about, the one that was related from the Scripture earlier in the reading from Psalms, He is all-powerful, all-knowing, all loving, present everywhere. He is just, he is honorable, he is kind. That's who he is. He's the God that when they actually see some representation of him in the scripture, people fall down to the ground dead. That's because he's a big, powerful, creator God. He is not like me. I won't always understand him. How can that be possible that I won't always understand an all-knowing, all-powerful, Everywhere, God, who is in all places before and after time. How is it possible I wouldn't understand him completely? Maybe it's because I don't understand any of that. Maybe it's because I can't find my keys sometimes. I leave my credit card places. I run out of gas. I forget my password. There's nothing all about me at all. But that's the God who speaks to you and me. So when we say, I don't believe this about God, or I believe that about God, Perhaps a place to begin the journey and to look at the scripture and say, what does he say about himself? Maybe a place to begin is to ask God what he is like. Not for me to just decide based on how I see justice. You know, this contrast that I've worked to create here is there's us and then there's God. And he's great and powerful and um, he's dangerous. I said I wasn't going to use that word today, but I like the word. Who wants a God that's not capable of being dangerous? I mean, you want to know that the one who holds the universe in order and in place, the one who's fixing the fallenness of man, the one who's engaging with you and I to bring us to a different level of being human, has actually got a little power. You know, they they come to the table packing. They are equipped to do and capable to do all there is to do. And God is not afraid. He will not be snuck up on. He will not be outgunned. He will not be outthought, outmaneuvered. That's the God that we desperately need because that's the God that can save you and me. As I thought about this, I think we have a disconnect when we have this powerful God. You know, this God is, might sound unapproachable But you see, that's just how we feel if we ever get this picture that we're not like this. You see, when we get into a position where we're not like this, where we're like this, we feel inferior and we feel that is not approachable. I was on an airplane once. Uh, coming out of, I don't know, Knoxville or Nashville or someplace. And I was on like a DC 9, there were like 90 people on this airplane. And it was the National Wrestling Championship. And, um, uh, or something like that. These, these guys were all giants. I mean, giants among giants. And, and me. I mean, I don't know how I got put on the national champion airplane, but there I am on the airplane, you know, <laughs> sitting between these guys who are like this, and I'm like this, you know. And they're talking about their their craft, their trade. You know, it was really hard to play. You know what I mean? It was hard to really get in on that conversation. Um, Yeah, I I watched that on TV once. Uh, Is that all staged? I mean, you guys just, you don't really do anything right. You just, I didn't really say any of that. I just (laughs) sat there and recognized the fact that I was here and they were here and it was like this, you know, and it was about an hour and a half and then I could unfold out from underneath the Giants and get off of the airplane. But the truth is. You ever seen a giant of a man hold their baby? How capable somebody six six and two ninety is with an infant? Gentle. And the baby's not afraid. And the baby doesn't feel inferior. That there's not a, mich- a mismatch at all, is there? But there's love and relationship there. And both are comfortable in their roles the baby and the daddy. No one surrenders an identity there. God desires intimacy with you. He longs for it. He looks for it. The God of the universe, the one who's all-present, all-knowing, all-powerful, He is the stick. He is dangerous. And he walks on top of lightning and thunder. And volcanoes happen just when he thinks. And he longs and desires intimate relationship with you and me. We've been kind of sharing about maybe some of the short-sightedness in the church of looking at obedience and loyalty and obligation as ways for you to try to, you know, do church stuff and serve in the church and, you know, read your Bible every day, Um, you know, any other kind of exercise of discipline so that you will be intimate with God. And we've been talking about that really is not the place where we're going to find the longevity of relationship. It's great to honor God with obedience, but obedience at the end of the day is just doing what you're supposed to do because you're supposed to do it. But what about if there's more? What would you say if I said, I am reading a book on how to develop the disciplines necessary to find intimacy with my spouse. I am going to work on practicing disciplines that will increase the intimacy I have with my spouse. You might go, oh, okay, or you might say, really, um, developing disciplines is probably not a way to have intimacy. Why not? Well, it's because intimacy doesn't flow out of disciplines. But it flows out of experience. Intimacy flows out of experience. What we need... Is we need to experience God. Now, when a you know a one-year-old girl needs to experience her six-foot-six, two hundred and ninety-pound father, it's not suggesting that she needs to experience you know some margin or level of his power or wrath or you know he can pick up large farm animals. It is about experiencing him. So maybe instead of disciplines, maybe we begin to know the God, the all-powerful God, the God who is the stick, who walks on lightning. Maybe we begin with desire. Maybe desire is one of the most important things to connecting with God. Without desire, there's very seldom real intimacy. Without desire, there's very seldom relationship that will endure. I have a friend of mine that I have breakfast with weekly. I want to share a bit of his story with you. Uh, My friend was uh, years ago in in the military, and he was stationed in Germany. And he was in this small ski town where he saw this very pretty young lady. And when he saw her and her beauty, and he desired her. I know that's never happened to anybody here, but just play along with me on this. And he wanted to meet this girl. And it took him six months, but he met this girl. And he began to work at striking up a relationship, and he pursued that relationship out of desire. And and my friend had been in Germany for a while and had purposed to learn German, but had never quite pulled it off. Just didn't get it done. But then this girl would only speak to him in German. So how do you think... The motivation changed at that point to learn German. It's kind of like this pretty girl, learn German, no problem. In three months, he was conversant in German. You see, disciplines come out of desire. That was 54 years ago. They're still married. He still pursues her. He still desires her. He still speaks German to her. That's where a story needs to begin with an all-powerful God. And that's when you can talk about your God is awesome and, and you can use words like dangerous and terrible and, and powerful. You can use all those adjectives because at the end of the day, he's the lover of your soul and you're not afraid of him and you understand his arms and you understand his power is always directed for good. And that even justice will be brought at the price of his own son. And that everybody on the planet is better off because he is God. And that's what you learn in intimacy. In Psalm 42, this is the language not of discipline or loyalty or obedience. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while all day long people say to me, Where is your God? As a deer longs for streams of water, my my soul longs for you. This is the Holman Christian Series Bible. That's not the dry language of a discipline, but it's passionate language. How about Jesus' words? Matthew 33, verses 37 and 38, this is out of the message. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your passion and your prayer and your intelligence. It's the most important, the first on the list. Love him with your passion. You see, intelligence isn't left out. We're a thinking people. But it's not the first. Or Psalm 16, verse 11. Again, the Holman Christian translation. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. This is the relationship that David operated in. He desired God. You know, they really didn't have an understanding of death and life after death and some of these things. And you'll see David in the scripture. This is a bold statement, but this is the kind of statement that comes when you understand the power and the awesomeness of God, and yet you understand the intimacy and the safety of being in that relationship. He says, you know, when I die, you're going to miss me. You're going to miss my face. You ever thought about if God would miss you? What a bold thing to say to the great and terrible God, as as we could describe it. You're going to miss me when I'm not here. I think God would say, you know, David, I would miss you if you're not here. That's why you're always going to be here. I'd miss you. And God God could say, and you'd miss me too. Psalm 84, verses 1 and 2, again, the Holman Translation. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. You know... My question is, what does your God look like? Is he powerful? Have you judged him to not really find justice? That he really is going to let this go and let that go, and certainly he won't be ugly toward that group of people or people that are living this way, and I don't believe this about him, I don't believe that about him. Have you marginalized your God? Less powerful, less able to rescue, or to bring true justice. If you could stand, please.